Hello, and welcome to another dynamic episode of Two Hearts, A New Who podcast. I'm Callum. And I'm James, and this is the only podcast that's rudely telling its companions to fuck off. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. But for right now, we are in the midst of our Flux Reaction specials, and this week it is Chapter 3, Once Upon Time. As always, though, just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Two Hearts Podcast, and that's two, the number two. Or if you want to have your more long-form thoughts read out on the show, email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com, and that's two, the word two. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Flux is quite an interesting endeavor so far, and um, it's it's always good to know where the general populace is at with this um callum once upon time once upon time either the most clever title no i can't even give it most clever either a good title or a bad title and i think probably a bad title (laughs) for this episode because it doesn't describe i mean it describes what happens because we're on the planet time and i assume this happened once um (laughs) <laughs> but beyond that, it's kind of a non-descriptor. Uh, look, uh, when I watched this episode this morning, I might add, we're recording for the first time on the same day as watching an episode. Um, I was super high about the episode. I thought, and I think my one superlative remains, Jodie Whittaker. Um, I thought she was probably gave her best performance in the show yet, in this episode. Um, and that, I guess, clouded my reservations, or whether I even enjoyed this episode immediately after watching it. But after reflection, um, and just sitting with this as a, as an episode of television of Doctor Who, uh, I really don't have an answer about what I feel about it. I feel very conflicted hmm Hmm. what about you James Hmm. um I I think this is what we're gonna encounter through this episode folks it's just it's a lot it's a big one well, it, it, like, it, this is the worst kind of episode for us to do on the same day as well, because usually we like to sleep on it, watch it again, take our notes, like, really sort of come to you guys with, with knowing what we want to say. Um, I don't necessarily know that this episode would even yield better results for that, though. Um, Once Upon Time, uh, which, by the way, written by Chris Chibnall, showrunner again, directed by um, Azher Salim, Salim? I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce your name. I apologize. Um, Good direction, though. I I thought the episode looked pretty decent. Um, Once Upon Time is a lot. Um, It is, it's too much. It's messy. Uh, It's very moffaty in a lot of ways, although I would argue it has none of the sophistication Mm -hmm. and kind of cheeky dance that Moffat episodes do. Um, And this is... So, yes, headline is Jodie Whittaker is fantastic in this episode. The rest of the episode around her is... Um, I think maybe when we run headlong into the the problem that we talked a little bit about last week, but it's just that Chibnall is... 
Chibnall is is a writer of a certain degree uh, and, and a certain skill ceiling. Um, and I think Once Upon Time is so convoluted and, and is trying to do so much that it maybe is a bit above that ceiling for him. Um, and... I, I don't say that to me mean spirited. There, there's there's no there's no bad faith going on here. Like we're just trying to sort of pull this apart and figure out what's going on here. Um, but it is not very good at weaving together its story. Um, it's got very inorganic connecting dots to all of them. Um, yeah. Mm. Despite all of that. I would say I enjoyed it. I, I just watched back a couple of clips from it here to, to try to get back into the headspace of the episode. And like, there's really good stuff in here um, in isolation. Um, mm. And then there's kind of the rest of the episode around it, which isn't even bad necessarily. It's just, it's like what happened with Warriors and Tyrants, where it's like the flux stuff is about 10 minutes of this episode and everything else yeah. is just set dressing. But at least here it's about the characters. It is, but you bring up a good point that I, I considered <clears throat> after we thinking about like, you know, we are at the halfway point here and oh my God, I feel yeah. like we are. And I feel like a lot of people maybe thought when they watched the Halloween apocalypse, okay, that was a lot, but everything I need to know has been set up. So I can, now I can follow all these threads that have been set up in this first episode pay off, but we're about, a th- we're now we're halfway and there's still new elements being introduced and not exactly payoff or if there is anything remotely satisfying about following these threads yet for me personally that I would understand I would understand if people were turned off by this point from this episode mm. I mean it's it's quite alienating to viewers um, in a way that I respect well okay let me rephrase i would respect it if i thought it was intentional if that makes sense um whereas i I think the um the unfortunate side effect of a story that's running this rampant is that you do alienate a general audience and you kind of make them feel a bit confused i saw a lot of like diehard doctor who fans on twitter this morning being like i don't think i understood what happened there um which is a really interesting contrast mm. to War of the Santarans last week, where you and I had major problems with the logic of the plot and also just found the entire episode quite, you know, it was there. Lacking. It was a bit of a nothing, a bit lacking. Um, and everyone seems to love War of the Santarans, and there's, a, I would say, like a 50-50, but maybe more even 60-40 leaning negative reaction to this episode. Um and I find that very interesting because it, it does make me wonder what does what does the fandom want? Um, how is the general audience reacting to any of this? Which we don't really know yet. Um, there's viewing numbers, but that's mm. about it. You know, I haven't spoken to anyone in, in my life that's watched this. Um, I, and they're just like an odd collision of episodes, these two. They are. I think I think if you're going to to make that comparison, the the sort of core difference that between something like War of the Sontarans and something like this is that War of the Sontarans is fluff. Like, it is written to be fluff mm. and almost filler. This is the kind of stuff... This is an episode that's like, I need you to pay attention to every single detail. Yeah. And so, when there are flaws in an episode like War of the Sontarans, it doesn't matter because you just paper over them with your, you know, with your viewer mind um, and then move on to the next point. When you're watching an episode like this where it demands your attention, you you give it that much more of a critical attention that the flaws, they're just more noticeable, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. 
And I guess it's also frustrating that for a law heavy, and I say law in this, like the vacuum of this season um, and the mm. arc of it, um, we don't, we just don't learn a lot, I think, from this episode. We don't even learn anything about, like, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker's part, not Jodie Whittaker, sorry, the Doctor's past <laughs> uh, that we wouldn't have known otherwise from just context clues. Um, yes. Like, okay, yes, I, I agree in the sense that there is, there's context, uh, context clues and there's subtext to some of the stuff that Swarm has said to her before. Um, I still think it is, for me, for what I want out of this Doctor, invaluable to spend time watching her past self and having Jodie Whittaker. And it, here's the other thing, you know, spoilers, of course, but like Joe Martin's back for this one. Um, but only in, in very limited use. Um, for the most part, we just get Jodie playing herself across her, her past timeline. Um, and I think that gives Jodie Whittaker as an actress, some fantastic meat and, and scenery to, to chew on and have fun with. And, you know, you brought up to me this morning that you thought it was a good way of drawing a, a direct sort of link and showing that, you know, the doctor that we know now and the doctor that she was back then aren't necessarily all that different. Mm. And that having, that's not necessarily a good thing though. You know, like there's a lot of that same darkness there. Um, really, really liked all, all of that. But I do also understand that in terms of like revelations or, you know, actually assembling the the puzzle pieces at this point, this episode does very little. In fact, it makes it even more confusing mm. um, but with the inclusion of um, uh, this character that we're going to, we'll get to in a bit because she deserves her own conversation. Uh, but yeah, from that, from that point of view, I do understand where you're coming from and I can understand why um, fans are, are frustrated with this. I think the flip side of that though um, with a comparison to War of the Sontarans, you know, that's an episode that is full of very familiar things because people love the Sontarans. It's a classic race. They're bringing them back. They're doing them right this time. You know, that that kind of stuff. And so, like you said, people tend to paper over those cracks themselves and, and they tend to excuse those things. And then you get to an episode like this, which is composed of, uh, other than a couple of terrible little cameo moments, entirely new characters, right? And it's like you said, it demands that you pay attention to it. And in that sense, it also says to you, you need need to start caring about Vinda and about Vinda's partner and about Dan and about Yaz. Like, oh, obviously we've got a pre-established relationship with Yaz and the Doctor, but this is a flux episode. Um, mm. Not necessarily plot structure wise, but in terms of this mini series, these are your characters. And so if you're not vibing with this, maybe you just don't like the new stuff. I mean, I'd agree with that to a, to a point, but there's new elements being introduced in an episode halfway through the series that I feel like would have much more emotional heft and weight. And we as an audience would care about them if we knew them from the start, because mm. you can't, I think we, we said this to each other before we recorded is like a lot of this episode is just like telling you things that another, a better episode would, would have you feel or would show you. And so like, yeah. Vinda's a good guy. How do we know that? Because the show tells us. We like Belle. How do we know that? Because, you know, she's plucky. Like, there isn't... There isn't lived in time. And I understand that that's a, that's just a limitation of this series being six episodes from eight uh, being filmed under COVID restrictions. Um, mm. But... 
I think we're getting to the point now where we can start talking about structure a little bit mm, because, yeah, yeah. you know, of how this season has been structured. And there are things and elements here that I would have preferred seeing in that first episode and following in a, with more depth uh, and just quantity, you know? <laughs> Um, uh, agreed. Agreed. I think that, that losing those two episodes, I think is really going to hurt this in the long run. Um, I, I don't know why they did it. Um, I, I'm frustrated for Chibnall as, as a creative, I'm frustrated for the potential of what we're doing here because like, you know, still broad stroke speaking, I think you and I still have a fair amount of good faith left mm. for Flux. This hasn't exactly, this hasn't, you know, broken the momentum for us. It's just like, oh, okay, this was just a messy episode. Um, I'm very much excited. Trying, yeah. Sorry, gone. No, I was just like, what they're trying to do here is still really cool. Um, and I, 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 it, it breaks my heart a little bit to think that it might be kneecapped by something as, as arbitrary as, well, we didn't have the time or the budget or whatever, so you're losing two episodes, which is, you know, two hours of storytelling um, that they could have dedicated to developing Dan a little bit more, showing us Vinda's sort of uh, arc and whatnot. Um yeah, it's but structurally so, speaking, yes, I agree. There are problems now. So what does actually happen in Once Upon a Time, James? Once Upon Time. Oh fuck. <laughs> See, this is gonna keep happening. It's a bad title. I've decided. Yeah, uh no, nah, it's a good title, I've decided. Um <laughs> so we left the last episode with uh Yaz and Vinda had been replaced had replaced the two um Mori uh timekeepers in the Temple of Atropos, and uh Mr. Swarm was like, I'm gonna click my fingers and send time running through them. And then we see him click his fingers, but for some reason the doctor becomes the flash <laughs> and can <laughs> move at a supersonic speed uh, and decides to pull herself and Dan onto the two remaining pedestals so that she can absorb the thrust of, of time sort of flowing through. But what this causes is Dan, Vinda, Yaz and the Doctor to be splintered throughout their own timelines. And whether that's like weird memory reflections, mm. uh, future points that they don't know about yet, you know, it, it varies based on the characters and what the story needs, of course. Um, and that's... That's where we end up with the main cast. And we are also introduced to Belle, who has her own, you know, side story that's going on here until it kind of ties in at the, at the very end. Um, and Belle is a brand new character who is played by an actress whose name I should have looked up before I started this sentence. Thaddea Graham. Yeah, um, very sweet, very, very charming in a lot of ways. We'll, we'll probably get to her in a bit, but that story is also going on as well. So it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, and it's funny because, like, you brought up before that there were complaints this episode was confusing. I actually was not confused by any of it <laughs> to any great no. degree. I felt like it very Agreed. clearly signposted the nature of what was happening. And it's almost like, it's very interesting to see a Doctor Who episode be almost entirely dream logic. Like, it is yeah, almost yeah. entirely, yeah, like, set in a dream. Uh, or a memory is probably more accurate. Um... And even though, like, those scenes have the cadence of Doctor Who logic and don't differ too far into the fantastical, um, there's enough there to kind of... I, I felt like I didn't need any element explained to me necessarily about this episode um, in particular. 
Um, um, I agree. I also just want to say, like, we don't say that as a, like, high and mighty kind of like, oh, well, we understood it. So why no. didn't you? Like, that's not at all what we're getting at. I think Callum and I are both, generally speaking, fans of this kind of storytelling, which is a bit messier and it is a, a little less... Uh, concerned mm. with the A to B of it all. Like, I, I do think that this episode is very much a an emotional piece. Whether that emotion works for you or not is is a very valid thing. Um, mm. But it is, like you said, it's dream logic. It's primarily concerned with the interiority of these characters. And so that is my kind of storytelling. I'm, I'm more than happy to lock into something going at that pace, which is probably why you and I struggled so much last week with War of Sontarans and its more traditional structure. We were like, well, this is kind of, it's all just a bit, it's a bit dull. <laughs> There were certain elements of this episode that were dull. I think the worst, if we can just start at the, like, the worst elements. <laughs> Not that there is a worst. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, of this episode. Like, again, Yaz gets the raw deal here. Yeah. Um, because, and I think it, it actually makes more sense here because, like, we have spent two and a half seasons at this point with her. So, if there was any other strands that needed to have other elements put into them it would be Yaz's I think the most interesting thing because so in her strand basically she um is menaced by a weeping angel and we don't know why the weeping angel has latched onto her in particular maybe it's because she's a time traveler more than the other two I don't know um I think the most interesting thing about her strand was that the, I don't think they explicitly or even like it, it I don't think it's actually going to be this in a, in a weird way um but the scene of her and her sister at home in a house that she didn't recognize signaled to me that we were seeing her future. Do you agree? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could get on board with that for sure. Um, you know, cause she does say like, you know, the details are wrong. This isn't my house kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could fuck with this. Um, and especially considering that this is an episode where, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but the doctor is, uh, a not so nice to <laughs> Yaz. Uh, yeah, not not so nice to Yaz. And that's the thing, like, the best parts about Yaz's story here are tied to the Doctor, which I think you and I probably want to save for the, the ending. Mm. Um, but, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's like you said, we've, we've really had so much time with Yaz. And, you know, you and I said about the Halloween apocalypse, it's like, oh, he's, like, I finally feel like we're starting to see Yaz. But in the, in the minds of these creators they don't need to do any more legwork with Yaz because they're like, oh, well, you know Yaz. It's like, yeah, but we, but we, we don't. don't. Like, sh- she was always shafted in her own time as well. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just a bit, it's it's a bit disappointing. It is a little bit, it is a little bit disappointing. Um, made more so worse because she's, so the, one of the conceits of this episode is that, like, obviously to get around uh, COVID restrictions, they've reused not reused, but they've star, uh, I was going to say staff members, <laughs> fucking hell, um, <laughs> actors from the main four core team then appear in each other's strands as like, I guess you'd like lay, like face layovers of the real people in those memories. Um, mm. I, I, there's not a good way to describe it really. Um, and well, so it's just those actors playing the the role of other people in in the memories which is like a, a cute idea like mm. I, I think that was pretty much obvious from the trailer that they released and it was part of the thing i was most excited about and then in practice you i just kind of found myself being like 
where are the other actors? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. And I think this is what goes to my point is because Yaz more prominently features in Vinda's storyline. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Not as Yaz, though. But not as Yaz. <laughs> and it's it, it's a tough ask. And, I, you know, I think Mandip Gill is a, is a, a very warm actor. Um, mm. So asked to play Stern doesn't pull it off all that well. No, no, she doesn't. So yeah, let's get into to Vinda's strand now, mm. I guess. Um, so we we it's been hinted at before that Vinda is like a disgraced commander of some sort. You know, he was obviously involved in some shit that went down, which is why he got that like shitty posting in the Halloween apocalypse. Um, and here we finally learn what that whole situation was. Um, so. He, Vinda, and I will say to to the episode's credit, this is where one of those interesting things pops up. Uh, Vinda seems somewhat aware that he is reliving memories. And so mm. he is saying to himself a lot of the time, please don't make me do this. I don't want to relive this. Please don't make me see this again. Really great stuff. I, I quite like Vinda. And, and I think all of that, that stuff really works. Um, so Yaz pops in as his, uh, I don't know, commander, general, fucking, I don't know. Commanding officer, guy. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and is like, hey, your brand new job is that you're going to be um, like personal bodyguard to what is it, the serpent, the grand serpent, which the grand serpent. I started to think, <laughs> oh my god, like I was like, how does this fit in with the time lord theory? I don't know any grand serpents. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and then it, when it transpired that it was just another, uh, just some guy, it's <laughs> like, oh okay. Whatever. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I guess we find out that the Grand Serpent is a political leader of uh, some unforeseen or unseen um, faction mm. of wealthy ruling class politicians. They, they seem to have a strong military force. You know, uh, they're having a, a meeting with a, a neighboring race to talk about trade negotiations and whatnot. Um we don't know who they are, and and it it concerns me a little bit that we're just never going to know that the Grand Serpent stuff is literally just flavor text for Vinda. Well, I um, think that actor is actually coming back. Oh, good. In some future good. episodes, so it's not as bad as that, but it's yeah. I, I you you <laughs> you would be forgiven for thinking he was never going to show up again because <laughs> he's so inconsequential, yeah. really. He, he kind of is. Um, like, it'd be really cool if we find out that the Grand Serpent is part of the same shadowy organization that uh, set up the initiative. Is that what they're called? The Division. The Division. Fuck, every single time. I cannot remember the name of this group. <laughs> the initiative is from uh, Buffy, actually. So that's kind of cool. Oh, remember Buffy? Remember when we watched... Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> yes. So I think that would be really interesting and cool. There's some other hints in here. Like there's some more division stuff going on in this episode. And so I would love to know more about that. Them as organization, who's funding them, blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm. Anyway, Vinda's stuff is happening. And it turns out that Vinda's big, like, oh, shameful secret is that he, <laughs> he submitted a report <laughs> where he basically just like told on his boss and Yaz's version of the military general is like, if you do this or oh, shit's going to go down. And he's like, submit the report. I'm a good guy. And it's like, that's it. Like, that's your shameful secret. It was a bit. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll admit my bar was so low at that point that I was like, I didn't think anything more dramatic than that was going to happen. 
Um, but mm. you said when you watched this that you thought he might go and kill the Grand Serpent. Well, like, the idea of, like, you know, um, the good bodyguard ends up sort of realising how corrupt and horrible the person they're guarding is. And, you know, it's like the the person, what is it, Jamie Lannister killing the Mad King yeah. kind of thing, yeah. right? Like, that, that kind of trope. I think you could have done something really interesting with that. And especially in a show like Doctor Who, which has such a strict moral code about murder... There's some good stuff there. Um, but no, he, he just submits a report and then he's like, oh, well, shit, I guess I'm going to not be able to see my my wife or partner or whatever for uh, an, uh, an indeterminate amount of time. And then he gets posted on the station and that's how we catch up to where we were with Vinder at the start of the story. Um, and it's all very fine. You know, it all struck me as very like, and a friend of mine kind of made this point in tangentially as like, this is a kind of episode that's like <laughs> school kid sci-fi and mm. the grand serpent as a concept is broad enough that you, it's also like very generic, uh, sophisticated, but generic at the same time, generic, sophisticated science fiction, like a dune type or a, you mm. know, Stark tower kind of thing. Yes. Yes, very, very much so. Um, it looks nice, though. Uh, the Grand Serpent's little, like, gold-soaked mm. planet-orbiting sex room is nice. <laughs> I, I wondered, though, why he sat on such an uncomfortable chair. Like, it looked... Right? Yeah. Really- <laughs> it did look very uncomfortable. It did. But it was a good set. I did think it was a good set. And if we're going to sidetrack just briefly to talk about this episode's uh, general design and, and look... Uh, I thought there were some stunning moments, in particular that shot in that set with the um, reflection of the planet just looked very, like, effortlessly Marvel. And (laughs) sometimes we don't talk about Marvel as, like, a good thing, but, you know, in terms Mm. of budget and scope, I feel like that is a a positive. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, while we're on positives about the scene, I really enjoyed the moment of characterization with the serpent where um, he's basically talking about his plan out loud to to Vinda. And Vinda's like, win-win, sir. Or he tries to just, you know, bolster him and, and agree with him, basically. Mm-hmm. And the way the Grand Serpent reacts, initially I was like, oh, yeah, it's it's the, the leader that doesn't want the grunt to talk when he's around him cool whatever that that and that does still happen but there's a flash in there where he gets up really close to Vinder he's like you think you can do what I do you want to be me and it seems Mm. like genuine paranoia um and I thought that that was a really nice subtle character um trait that what is his name Craig Parkinson um delivered to the role so I I just wanted to call that out because there are good little moments amid the the storm that is this episode (laughs) There are, there are, I hadn't actually considered that moment as well, but you're right. And I think he's also like, gives a pretty good performance and correct me if I'm wrong. Did you think watching him that he could possibly be swarm? Oh, with no. the like, cause he had the same kind of like pitch <laughs> shoulders and the same kind of like campy kind of movement. He was campy and he was wearing a suit. But he had, like, specific... He had, like, pointed shoulders, like, swarm. Okay. Well, let's park that one. I, I, that that memory of thinking that just came back to me then. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Look, I mean, this is still the time of theories halfway through the story. Anyway, <clears throat> um, that was Vinda. Uh, there's also Dan. <laughs> Dan Lewis. There was Dan. 
I kind of liked Dan's... I honestly can't... I don't think there was much to it, really. But his short scene with Dai, where he kept, like, flicking through time, and then mm-hmm. they ended up on the steps and him talking about his, like, wife leaving at the altar. I was genuinely not moved, I guess, but, like, huh. Like, you're a, you're, you're a person kind of moment. Um, yeah, agreed. I'm not explaining this very well. It... it and I think there was something about the way that they structured the dialogue around that scene. I'm actually going to see if I can bring it up. There's something about the the exchange, which just felt so effortlessly natural to me, where he's talking about his wife leaving him the altar and then just kind of going, but anyway, or like, but that's enough of that. And mm. it just, it's so tiny and so in- insignificant, but it, it means a lot, I think, to me and to viewers as a, like... <laughs> Oh my God, I'm putting so much emphasis on one tiny little thing. But it's like <laughs> script writing, dialogue writing 101. It's like naturalistic dialogue. And they really, yes. they they got it right in that scene. Yeah, well, I mean, like Chibnall's not good at naturalistic dialogue. And so I think when it is in the episode, it stands out. I, I think that's just what you're feeling, you know? That's I think that's it. Yeah. Um, I did just see someone on Twitter say that scene could have so easily been a coming out scene for Dan. Um, and Stop now it. that I think back on it, I'm like, yeah, that actually would have been nice. Because, um, you know, Di has this whole, like, you're not unattractive. You're not a young man either. Like, how are you not married? Like, why are you not with someone? Um, and I think you could have mined a lot of good subtext if he'd been like, never found the right person, wink kind of thing. Especially after seeing his parents be so traditionally like, oh, oh, the footy, son. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's some stuff he could have done there. Um, and it just doesn't. And it's like, that's fine. I, I still like the work that, um, what's his name? Uh, John Bishop is doing here. I just, I just want a little bit more from Dan. Yeah. <clears throat> Agreed, and it's going to be hard to get more from Dan when his one significant other is trapped inside a leather-bound uh, muscle man. You want to talk about theories <laughs> that came true. I don't remember <laughs> if this is on the recording of our podcast, um, but I know for a fact that Callum and I had a conversation where I'm pretty sure it was you, but it also might have been me, joked that, whoa, what if Diane is passenger? <laughs> and we were mostly correct. We were... Yes, and that's also given way to another theory of mine, but you're right, um, because, like, I, 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 I just, I didn't see that coming, but I think we did, I think it was you who, like, said that, um, you know, she was under there, which was just a funny image, but then also, like, the <laughs> idea, I think the idea of the passengers are quite good, um, and you- Oh, phenomenal. You brought it up that, you know, having henchmen also double as, like, prisoners, and then- having you know them be the threat you know we can destroy millions of people in one go by just killing this one person uh is Mm. phenomenal it invited me to consider if passengers were possibly tardises i don't think it'll be true but then you know stranger things have happened I personally like that last week when we recorded, I was like, hmm, what if Swarm is a TARDIS? And now this week you're like, what if Passenger is a TARDIS? Um, Did you say Swarm is a TARDIS? Oh, because of the crystals. Yeah. Yeah, because of the way the and because of the way he warps into the scene and the sound that it plays. Anyway, theories, theories. I love theories. Um, we kind of jumped ahead a bit there. We were talking about Dan. Um, mm. I don't think there's much else to say about Dan. He's he's present he doesn't um, nothing really happens to him i can't even like does he does anything he happen he meets the guy in the tunnels 
Oh, okay. If you want to talk about disappointing like plot threads, <laughs> that guy needs to stop. He needs to show up or piss off. I'm, I'm sick of it. <laughs> Agreed. Every time he shows up and he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Leave me alone!" <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> oh my god, something? can you do something? And this time he had a gun, and I was like, mm. what, "What? What? Are you just like, where? Who are you?" <laughs> Who, what, where, how, and why are you, Tunnel Man? <laughs> Truly. And it's not coming um, off as absurd or funny. It's just coming off as annoying. But that's not me being critical. That's just my, like... That's just personal. It's personal. Yeah. yeah, it's personal with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last thread that we follow that isn't technically one of the threads from what's going on but is adjacent is... Um, Bell. Not Gemma. Bell. <laughs> Gemma. Gemma. <laughs> um, Who's Gemma? Belle. So, who is Gemma? That's the real question. Um, so, Belle, uh, we meet Belle at the beginning of the story. She is narrating um, her existence in a post-flux galaxy, mm. which I think is actually a really interesting concept. The idea that the flux has already rolled through and it leaves behind enough that there can still be survivors, but not so much that there's any hope of really rebuilding the world in a good way. Um, so we meet her. She's on the run. She <laughs> she has a awful scene with some Daleks. It's not as bad as... But it's bad. <laughs> it's It's just... It ain't good. They're, they're very CGI'd in and whatnot. And I was like, oh God, are we doing Daleks as well? It doesn't seem like we are. It seems like they were just like a passing reference, which, it, you know, to me is the better way to use Daleks. But <laughs> but anyway, um, then she goes to another planet. Oh, she finds one of the Lupari ships, um, which she says have been mysteriously abandoned, which is like, I don't know if that's a thread they're going to pick up on or not. Um, I feel like it was just at a this point, budget way of getting her on a ship that they didn't have to build a new yeah. set. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, truly, that is how it feels, isn't it? Um, so she's out there. She's a pilot. We learn uh, she's very good at being a pilot. Um, so she's traveling around what is essentially now there's the Dalek sector, the Sontaran sector, and the Cyberman sector, uh, which is to say that apparently in the aftermath of Flux, these warlike robotic races have are basically just vying it out for who can control what remains. Which, um, if, if I can just interject, is cool... Yeah. Because I feel like one of the things we never touch on is just, like, how, like, not misguided is the wrong word. Just, like, these creatures are just, like, being driven by, like, that guiding instinct from their creation that serves no purpose. And so, after the apocalypse, it would make sense that they'd just be like, well, this patch of radioactive dirt is my dirt. It's, we're going to hold it and fight you for it. And it's like, yeah, the universe is over and you're still... Like sectioning out bits, like empires. It, it, yeah. I, I don't know. I just liked it. Mm. And like, yeah, that's a really good concept. Um, in practice, it's just, mm. I don't know. There's one uh, Cyberman action scene where she has a, a, a shootout with them. Um, she gets to have a conversation with one of them, which, like, I'm always a fan of people having a conversation with classic villains. Um, the, it's it's fine you know she's carrying around this little tamagotchi thing that's keeping track of the heart rate of something wink but like it, it, obviously it was she was pregnant um i i i clocked onto that pretty much immediately i don't know how, how Did you, you feel about that no i yeah. thought that the tick me thing was like oh my god oh that's yeah you're so much cleverer than i am i thought the tick me thing was like <laughs> 
you know, there's like apps where you can like, you like your partner's a million miles away and they press a button and then it pops up on your app as like, oh, so and so vibrators. <laughs> that's that's one version of a very wholesome concept. <laughs> but essentially, if you want to use that as an analogy, yes, like a vibrator. Um, yeah, that's what I thought it was. Like they were keeping in touch with each other and telling each other what they were feeling, like whoever this mysterious other was. And then I was like, wait, if they're that far in the future, why can't they just do a video call? Uh, Truly. So that's when that theory left (laughs) my head. Um, There's a lot of stuff in her storyline where she's always talking about, I've got to get back to you. I've got to get back to you. I love Mm. you. I've got to get back to you. And like for a brief moment, I did consider that she was talking about the doctor. Um, And... Obviously, she's not. She's talking about Vinda. Uh, we learn that she is pregnant, of course, and that her and Vinda are obviously from the same timeline, um, which is interesting because if the flux... You know what? No, I can't get into the timeline stuff again. It it hurts my brain too much. Um, the flux is happening in modern-day Earth, right? Mm. My understanding was that Vinda, if Vinda was related to the organization that was related to Joe Martin's doctor, he's from way in the past. So is this the first time the flux rolled through? It's funny, you know, yes. Look, they make a point in this episode and in the Joe Martin stream, which we'll get to, of saying that all the stuff with Atropos, the doctor's past, uh, the swarm and Azure takes place in the dark times. And the dark times are, like, prehistoric Earth out in the depths of space when, like, the great vampires and the, you know, and the Time Lords in their infancy, like, roamed. Uh, Or no, no, I don't think even Time Lords existed then. Oh, and, like, stuff like the Reapers and the, like, the creatures that live in the Vortex. Like, real bad times. Rachnos stuff. Um, Right. And I loved that concept because I I love the dark times in general as a concept, but what ties it into this episode more so is because like in Doctor Who lore the dark times are associated like with pre-Gallifrey because when Gallifrey was formed they made something called the web of time that controlled time and then put order into the universe so that creatures like that couldn't exist um oh yeah that's very much like what's happening in this story it very much so with the Mori and the temple yeah. and the, the the battle between time and space um I forget why I bring this up. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. This this episode invites this kind of stream of consciousness conversation. Um, I suppose. Um, but it, to, to your point, uh, um, I think that uh, the swarm stuff definitely happens in the distant past. This is a time travel show, though. And so it's feasible that all the stuff with the flux happens in the future. Uh. Yes. Well, you mean swarm the first time? The swarm, swarm the, the first time. time, sorry. And the right, doctor's yeah, past okay, happens yeah. in ostensibly the, the past, past chronologically. Yes. Which, though, you know, and we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but we're, we're kind of done with the other non-important stuff. We can actually start talking about the plot of, of, of Flux now. Um, 
there is that moment when uh, they capture uh, Swarm and Azure in those like containment fields. And I don't remember who says it, but somebody says uh, containment with erasure of identity or something, which is exactly where he found her on Earth in modern times, living in a human's body, not remembering who she was. Um, and so it's like, okay, this is like a thing that you guys did back then. You know, like you, th this was your form of imprisonment, right? Um, so I did like that callback to the first episode. I thought there was a genuine like, okay, yep, there was a mystery. Now there's an answer. Yeah, so um, it, I don't know. It might not have been in the exact scene where they get put in the, the containment fields, but I know that there, there, there was like a, a line in there ab about that. And so I, I, I did appreciate that, um, which does bring us to the Joe Martin of it all. Um, mm. Well, please welcome back to the stage, Ruth Doctor. I thought it was cool how they opened up Genuinely, the only moment where I was like, I don't know where we are, is when we open from the time storm to the doctors in her dark coat. Ooh. Mm, ooh. Um, and I genuinely thought we were seeing, like, a literal alternate universe doctor who, yes. like, was leading a band of warriors as opposed to a band of friends. Um, and I'm glad they didn't do that, I, I guess. Um, cause it would have been, yeah. Like you don't want like, Oh, it's the dark timeline doctor. Her jacket's inverted. No, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a bit silly. You know? <laughs> exactly. But more because like, I think that like in a show that has so little time spending a whole episode with an alternative universe doctor would have been like, mm. oh, like silly. <laughs> it could have been, it would have been silly. <laughs> so I'm glad they didn't do it. Um, and the revelation that, you know, she's in her past and reliving the moment that, you know, a, led to whatever rivalry she has with Swarm, but also, like, what got her her freedom from the Division. Uh, mm. It's, it's, it's mm. juicy. <laughs> it is, it is. There's some real, there's some real meat here. Um, so, yeah, you know how, in the same way Yaz is playing the military guy in um, Vinda's memory, the Doctor is playing her old self in her own memories. But, it, you know, she sees a reflection of herself in it. It's, it's the Ruth Doctor. Um, and so there's a scene where um, she's having a conversation with not Vinda, because it's not actually Vinda. Uh, Vinda, Dan, and Yaz play the role of her, like, uh, division pals at the time. Dan playing Cavanista is actually very sweet oh. and cute. I, I quite liked that touch. It is. Um, and that that is something I didn't see coming. When Yaz was like, you know, oh, not bad for a dog. I was like, oh, it's Cavanista. Like, that part genuinely surprised mm. me. And I did enjoy that moment. Especially because, yeah, I had to go back and listen to the dialogue again. Because she was like, what did you call him? And I was like, wait, what did she call him? Um, yeah. And I thought that I'd misheard Doc. But the subtitle said oh. dog. And I was like, they're not gonna do this yeah dan's not the doctor please go please no please no oh my god no um, so um I thought it was but cute. yeah so it was cute um not vinda has a conversation with um doctor doctor where <laughs> this is going great um where he's like hey look 
hold it together. This is the last job. They promised that you'd be free after this, and they said they'd stick to it this time. Um, that's really interesting. The idea that division agents are doing the work they're doing with the promise that they will be set free from it, which in turn made me think, is their version of being set free from it? What is it? They call it, they'll clear you. Um, mm. Do they know that they will have that memory erased? Do they do this work because they know it's the nitty gritty, horrible stuff that needs to be done to keep the universe in check? But then with the comfort of being like, well, at least we won't remember the horrible things we did. I, I like that idea. I guess I'd believe it more if we actually saw them do horrible things. <laughs> but Well, well, and that, that's the thing. That's that's what we're, we start to get into uh, the, the, the thematic thrust, I guess, of, of this part and the good parts of War of the Sontarans, which is Swarm's uh, ideology that time doesn't exist to be controlled by the Time Lords, whatever form they're taking, whether that's now or back in the past when they were forming themselves as the Division and whatnot. Um, and, you know, he has that that killer line that you just mentioned, like, this, like you and I are here fighting the original fight or whatever it is, the war between space and time. Mm. Um, that is really cool I, like when Chibnall gets to write Swarm I he, I think he's having a blast this is like the Chibnall I want to see more of mm. um it's it's creative it's it's silly it's just fun it's good stuff mm. and it's got a good thematic underpinning to it you know you and I've talked a lot on this show about how you know the there are unintentionally very interesting bones to the character of Doctor Who. The Time Lord part yeah. um, is the, the quiet part that they never say out loud, except for like once in a blue moon, like Waters of Mars and whatnot. Um, and so to, to see the villain come in and acknowledge that power disparity that the Time Lords have over reality and time itself, fucking phenomenal foundation for something. Uh, it is. It, it, it is. I... <sighs> I guess I just, it's hard to comment until we know what it's actually going to mean. And I don't mean to be so down. I yeah. just, yeah, this episode uh, left me feeling a bit cold with the elements it introduced. And I can't actually be that to any particular reason. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, look, that's like, you're, you're allowed to disagree. Um, I'm just... I'm holding on to the things that I am enjoying because mm. if I don't, I'm going to feel about this the same way I did about his last two seasons. And I don't want that experience again. Um, I don't no. mind if that's where we end up, but during at least I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt because, and like we're going to get to with Jody's performance in a minute. Um, mm. There is some stuff in here that I think is deliberate and I think they, they do know what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I just, I just <laughs> want to hold on to that hope for, for three more episodes. Speaking of performances, um, I don't know if you felt the same way, but were you slightly disappointed when it was the older guy playing Swarm and not the new Swarm, I guess you call them? Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, uh, agreed. Like, I, I think the older guy does a decent job as well. Um, but obviously, uh, new Swarm is is sexy Swarm. Like, Swarm, he's sexy. Swarm, Swarm Zero, he's great, you know? Um, but I will say, I thought that the dialogue still perfectly reflected the kind of, like... Uh, back and forth dance that him and the doctor had going on. Um, mm. You know, when she walks into their room and she's like, oh, of course you built yourselves thrones. Like I, like I laughed like that. That's really good. Like doctor writing and villain writing as well. Um, so yeah, I, I quite liked all of that stuff, but um, Jodie Whittaker. <sighs> Jodie, where have you been? <laughs> 
Where were they hiding you, Jody? <laughs> you kept your life under a bushel because fuck. Well, not. I, I, no, I'll take that back because she's always been this good. It's just she's never had material she can sink her teeth into. And I feel like the only time yes. we've seen the the best that we get of Jodie this week is the scene where the master reveals that she's the timeless child and she pushes him. It's that kind of like physical anger okay. that she's very yes. good at doing. And that was just a blip of a moment, but it gave me hope. <laughs> um, and this yeah, season has... It's, it's the nitty gritty of the character. It's that teeth. You know? It's the teeth. And there's teeth to her in this episode. Um, oh, yeah. The f- I would just say before you go on, I, I want to know, I think the other time for me that Jodie Whittaker has like truly embodied the role is It Takes You Away. I, that's... Um, yeah. The... Yeah, the the way that she uh, displayed the kind of very unique and very singular to the Doctor uh, regret of of the way that episode ends in that she can't stay and learn something new for once, Um, which ironically is what's going on with her character now. She's learning new things. And I think that's when Jodie gets to bring her version of the Doctor to life, when the Doctor is challenged beyond the sort of mundane trappings that Chibnall tends to put them in episode to episode. But anyway, I digress. Continue your point about Jodie. No, I was just going to, like, kind of just go down the line, really. Um, The first... I mean, the moment where she looks in the mirror and sees Joe Martin's doctor staring back isn't, like, an amazingly written scene, I don't think. Um, Mm. And... But it's crucial to hold on to because there's a moment at the end of this story Mm. where it's so... like. you know, it would be just another moment in another episode, maybe. But, like, the way that she... So, basically, she has spent this whole... Uh, her stream reliving a past memory that she has been forced to forget. And at the very end, after having having to let it go, she is in the temple and looks at herself in the same mirror she looked at herself in the start and saw Joe Martin. And the kind of, like... The wistfulness and the... Yeah, there's some soft piano keys. <sighs> like it's just it it made me feel something, and and that was really nice for this I've, doctor because she's she's needed it. <laughs> I've never felt like she was more alone. Yeah, than that moment. Yeah, or and I know this is like a weird thing to say. I don't think she's ever been so much the doctor as in that moment. Mm. Like looking at herself in the mirror there, I was like, yeah, like you are the doctor, and. Mm. I, I know that that's a really loaded thing to say about Jodie's time on the show because obviously there was so much bullshit around the fact that she's a woman and there's so much bad faith around that. And, like, like we fundamentally get that here. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Mm. Um, but I think it's also totally fair to just be like, I don't know, her choice as an actor and the script weren't working for us before and they are now. Um, yeah. And that's exciting. And we're going to talk about that. She's never been more commanding, even while she's still delivering the same kind of dialogue of the, like... And this episode is full of it, like, in the, like, handholdy way of, like, transitioning yeah. you between scenes of, like, whoa, I'm being pulled out of my timeline. Now I'm going into this timeline. Are y'all keeping up? I Great. guess we better go check on Yaz now. Like, oh, God. <laughs> I know you've all been thinking about Dan. <laughs> Let's go see what he's up to. Um, remember Vinda? <laughs> remember? Has she even talked... She didn't even talk to Vinda. No, she has no reason she to save to him. Vinda, uh, no, she says to the Maori when she's in like the uh, the weird time vortex. She's like, oh, I've got to find Dan and Yaz and that lad. Oh my God. I've got to- <laughs> and you know what lad sounds like? What? Dad. Stop. 
<laughs> are you going to introduce this well, seriously or no no we'll get to that at the very end of the episode i think <laughs> okay. um just briefly on on jody so that characterization stuff that we talked about uh in halloween apocalypse that kind of went away from uh war of the Santarans mm. is back um she is cold and mean to the companions um in a very interesting way the first time so you know she saves them all the the moria like hey bitch get out of the fucking timeline like you're done enough um and she's like no 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 no. i need to stay in here because i need to learn what's going on with myself and they're like no no for real doctor leave um so she gets kicked Mm. out and she gets back to main reality where you know of course yaz and dan and vinda are like oh my god thank you so much you saved us and she is just having none of it so can i can i give you the dialogue yes please do um okay there is there are two moments uh i can't find the first one but the other one is so cutting it's like um the dan's like i'm gonna get to die and and um the doctor's like you know first off we're going to find out what's behind the flux and what it's got to do with me and yes says why would it have anything to do with with you and the doctor just snaps at her does everything have to be a discussion mm. and it's like and yaz is like visibly hurt she, by this and just retreats into the tardis it's so sad it is it is and i think the earlier moment is just a similar kind of like her snapping at her and being like get in or like you know get all like yeah because like she she comes back to reality and and i think yaz says something to the effect of like oh why are you upset like you, you did it you, you saved us and i i think that like it's mm. not obviously directly this but the tone of it is the doctor been like that doesn't matter to me right now oh. um, and that is so unique for this I, <laughs> you know you're right and i found it sorry it's um it's it's yeah you know the doctor the doctor gets pulled out of her time stream and she's like I want to go back in there I have to get back in there and Yaz says it's okay she's like it's not okay not for me you don't un-, she says you don't understand anything yeah it's so, so good cutting because yeah if she if Yaz doesn't understand anything it's because the doctor hasn't told her not because she's truly lacking yeah. anything it's so cruel um. Mm-hmm. Very much so. She has a similar moment with Dan a little bit after that where, you know, we find out that Di is trapped inside of Passenger um, and Dan tries to, like, walk forward to help her and the Doctor's like, no, no, stay back. Mm. And Dan, like, kind of pushes her away. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm going to save her. And she shoves him back with, like, a hand. She's just like, like, get back. You do have no idea what you're dealing with here. I do, so do as you're told. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She... She is not taking any prisoners and it's the same. It's, it's really good to see what happened. Like the Halloween apocalypse developed to this point. Like she is Agreed. so driven to the point of like, she is going to alienate her friends, which are so key yes. and central to her as a character um, is, you know, the fam it's, it's what keeps her going. And she's, it's kind of weird because like, it's not fate that's pulling these characters away that potentially we don't know where this story is going, but like, not mm. like an RTD where like Rose gets trapped in a parallel universe or Donna has to have her <laughs> memories erased. Like, you know, she is actively pushing these people away and yeah, it's fascinating to see if it follows this line because we felt this way about series 12 and every time the doctor would be a bit shit to the companions, they'd be like, don't worry. we got your back. We're your farm. And you'd be like, mm, I don't think you'd be uh, acting like that. That's not entirely true, though, is it, Ryan? 
um, yes, yeah, no, uh, agreed. Uh, I would feel that way if there hadn't been that moment in the first episode where Yaz was like, you're not telling me anything and it's starting to annoy me. I think they do know what they're doing here. Um, so mm. I, I hope that pans out. Um, okay, so we've skipped over a scene here mm. that is huge. Um, um, if we're uh, just one last, uh, Jody is really good. I guess you call it scene. Um, yeah. the scene of her in the time stream talking to the, to the Maori, to the Maori, I guess. Mm. And, you know, just shouting, you know, let me have something like, give me something. Right. And then she says, and I, I don't think it's intentionally this, but like, she says, give me the end. Like, get- uh, yeah, let, let me see the end of what I was involved in or something. Yeah. Like, because that, that's really the part that matters to her is how this all wrapped up. Exactly. Um, it's so good. It's so good. And also, side note, I feel like this is the best time we can, we've got to talk about this, but I've, I've seen a lot of complaints about the, the CGI of this episode. And yes, it does look a bit naff compared to like last week, let's say, mm. but I think the the image because the the for those who haven't seen it, in case you haven't, the, the image that we're referring to is uh is like a massive purple shimmering void. The the Mori are these like you know towering, literally like building size now white you know robed women and whatnot, and the Doctor's very small, hovering in front of them, kind of thing. Um, and it looks naff, like it does. Um, I I, I won't deny that, but I think that again it's doctor who and you kind of do have to give it a little bit of like okay yes this doesn't look as good as it possibly could you don't have the budget of a marvel movie like you were talking about before but are you conveying something cool i i like do i feel as if i can use the the good part of my brain to fill in the rest of the gap and be like that is a really neat concept anyway and that's how i felt about the cgi in this episode uh same and i wasn't that affected by it i'll be honest i didn't think it was bad in any sense of the word um i did like about how this like i don't know if this is intentional but the time stream seems to be of the same energy as the boundary between like that weird koshamas planet and gallifrey and oh yeah 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 very very true very true and whatever time strip slip the doctor fell through as a timeless child oh sometimes talking about the show is so like shut up (laughs) Um, yeah, but I mean, like, that's, that's the nature of the, the beast. (laughs) It is. Um, yeah, just a small sidebar. But. Yes. The, so, yes. Um, let's talk about God. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So when this scene happened, I said to you that I, I think this is, this has got to be some personification of time, if not God. And that's my stake. That's my claim. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Um, so, uh, the, the doctor, after she has her, her big moment where she's like, no, you've got to give me something. I need, I refuse to go back until I know something. Uh, she kind of forces herself back into the time stream, um, and lands in a, a specifically a, a very well shot set in the sense that we never see anything other than close ups of the two people talking, mm. uh, because they're very clearly not showing you something. Again, very dreamlike logic. It's you hard know, to At the end place. of the scene, the woman she's talking to. Exactly. And the woman, she, she says to her, like, and don't try to find this. And we don't see where any of it is. And so it makes you feel like that thing that's in a dream where it's just slightly out of focus or out of your, your perspective. Very good stuff. Anyway, 
So she finds this this older woman here who I am desperately trying to find the name of Orsock. right now because she's uh I meant more the actress. Oh. Um, or, um Orsock? The character's name is Orsock. The um I have no idea what I literally Barbara Flynn saw it. I think. Yeah, she looks like a Barbara. <laughs> Let me just look it up. Oh, here she is. Yeah, Barbara Flynn. Um, okay. So we meet Barbara Flynn's character, or- Orsock, you said. Orsock. Yes, terrible name. It's, we'll it's, deal with that part later. It's bad. Um, it's, oh, it's bad. Um, so this woman is uh, kind of Wizard of Ozing her way around some little machinery and whatnot. She's like topping something up with oil and she's so like, oh, well, look at you, Doctor. You're being a little petulant little child right now. Don't, like, what are you doing? Um, It's such a weird energy. It is. It is. My first thought was that it was possibly a TARDIS or even the cloisters on Gallifrey was like, Oh yeah, yep. But you know, you're right. I'm I'm just watching it back now while we're recording, and um, there is no definition to this scene at all. She is an interesting choice for this role. Uh, not, I don't know anything about her, but she's so um, vigorous. I guess is the word. She's not. Yeah, she's got a lot of life behind her. Mm. Her whole persona and ang- like, not angry, but like. She takes. She's kind of like take um, no prisoners. Um, it's it to me the the vibe I got was like a matriarch scolding someone. Truly, truly, um, like the mother kind of figure, maybe. Um, yes, but like the mother of all time. <laughs> well, truly, yeah. The the way she talks about the universe is that she exists outside of it, and it, she has some degree of control because, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the big kind of clue for this week is that she says to the doctor well she says a couple of things one that the flux is uh, a thing that was created it's not a naturally occurring thing mm. it was designed to do what it does um that the ravages uh swarm and azure are both as much pawns in this as the doctor is they have i think she says like you know uh, they've been bought back because they're rare like oh, actually I wrote she this describes I them as a, right. a temporal poison or a contagion yeah, uh, rare and useful creatures is what she calls them, mm. um, which is very interesting. The idea of, of more pawns on the board here, especially ones who maybe aren't aware of it. Mm. Um, and then uh, she has this conversation where she's like, you know, this universe is over and the doctor's like, what are you talking about? There's so many things in this universe. You can't do that. And she's like, yeah, like this universe that you seem to love so much uh, is over and it's because of you. The flux was made because of you. And then she like shushes her away and throws her out of that time stream with like a little hand wave. Um, it's so odd. It is odd. And the thought that I had in that moment was like something I've been thinking a lot about with Doctor Who is like, the Doctor must be the most well-time-travelled character in the history of this universe. Yes. That wouldn't go unnoticed. And so someone who was outside of time, who watched time ad infinitum, mm. would look at her travels and be like, you're trying to save time, but if you just stop travelling, you might, like, you might, like, stop fucking things up. And so... Yeah, exactly. I can't help but feel like when she says it's your fault or whatever she says to that effect... She's talking about, like, the Doctor's lifestyle. It's like, you keep time-travelling, it's creating more and more fractures or whatever, 
Um, and that's why mm. I need to reset the universe. Yeah, which is a, a really cool idea. I, I cannot wait to see what they're going to do with this woman because I, I liked her performance. Um, I like that Doctor Who seems to be setting up the grand villain of Flux, uh, or maybe not necessarily villain, but like antagonistic force of Flux is an older woman. Mm. Um, that's really cool. Like, obviously, I know we had Missy, and M- Missy was fantastic, but I, I don't ever really associate Doctor Who villain with women. It's funny, I would more so, but that's because of a more misogynistic trait in the classic series to be like... Well, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, you need an evil woman? Well, she's probably a lesbian. Or like, you know, she's like, oh, she hates men. Or it's like all that kind of weird stuff. But there was a lot of them. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I obviously mostly speak to just from the perspective of, of New Who. Um, but like overarching, impactful women in this universe are kind of few and far between yeah. um, that aren't companions at least. Yeah. And so it's, it's really cool to, to maybe get a hint that there's something much bigger than the doctor going on here. Um, it, it oddly reminds me a lot of um, uh, the Loki stuff that we went through earlier this year. Mm. Um, and that, that's just a really fun coincidence, I'm guessing. Um, but that show was also very much about somebody who existed outside of time, trying to keep it in place, playing the the part of the chess master kind of thing um so yeah i'm i'm i am very excited to see where they're going with with that stuff and especially when you can you you pair that with jodie whittaker's doctor finally truly feeling like it arrives for us the characterization is working for me Mm. um the the core of flux you know the doctor figuring this out i am very much enjoying everything else around it it's very hit and miss it is and you know we should probably talk about the ending of this episode because the, <laughs> there's a couple of scenes that like are hit and miss. Um, for one, oh oh god, the doctor, yeah. I forgot the doctor. <laughs> after all this is over, Atropos is saved. Swarman as your kind of blip out, and they're like, "We're gonna get you next time." Um, <laughs> and so the doctor takes Vinder, who knows what a TARDIS is, and seems very mm. like nonchalant about the whole thing. Um, he she takes him to his planet. They arrive. He's like, oh, it's all been ravaged and all my people are dead. And the doctor's like, okay, here's my number. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then Dan, oh my God, Dan has the goal to be like, sorry. Oh no, I just go on. Dan has the goal to be like, when he's like, oh, I'm probably never going to, I've got to go find my, um, my beloved, you know, one. He's like, she's probably dead though. Is (laughs) She, <laughs> like, it's a bit of a lost cause, don't you think? It's like, Dan? Like, Dan, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one. Um, and it doesn't make sense to me because I feel like Vinda should continue traveling with the team. Yeah, I don't know why we had like an exit stage left for Vinda. I assume he's going to come back, obviously, mm. because there's a <laughs> there's a theory we need to talk about. Um, so, as we mentioned earlier, Belle is pregnant with Vinda's child, uh, a timeless child, perhaps. I think it. Okay, so this theory is mostly predicated on the idea that somehow they'll fall through a flux event, and so that baby will become the the baby that comes out of the other end of the time stream and then found well, Scalafrain. You know, 
River gets her powers this, by being exposed to the time stream while in the womb. This this is exactly what I was going to say. It's like it it <laughs> at the end of last season, Chibnall like did a whole thing to uh, correct a, a continuity error in a 1970s story. It wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past him to be like, oh, I don't know how River got her powers. Let's do a whole origin story around that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, granted, and again, this is something I, I saw on Twitter this morning. We, we had a good laugh about it, but it is the kind of tie everything up with too tight a bow writing that Chibnall likes to do. Um, so we're just, we're going to put a pin in it now. Mm. It would just be very funny if it turns out that Vinda and Belle are the Doctor's parents. It would be a big big swing and i'm not sure one the show would come back from which i feel like you disagree with uh yeah i i think that um you know chibnall did an interview where he talked about the revelations of episode six where he was like hey if not now then never for me to do something huge with this show to really change it up so like honestly like I'm a speed the collapse kind of guy. I think if we're going to do this, let's just fucking do it. Let's lean in. Um, oh my God. So I, I personally can't wait to see how it goes. Oh my God. That gives me chills. And I think you need to let everyone know what this article is. Um, yes, I will try to find it and put it in the show notes. He lied. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have any other... Any other thoughts on, on Once Upon Time? It's it's well, weird for an episode that before we started, we were like, oh, I really want to talk about this one. And now we've been sitting here for over an hour. So. Mm, I, we, I think there was just so much to talk about. It was always going to go like this. The only other thing I would say is like, I'm curious what the little blue time mites things are. And be- mm. specifically because, correct me if I'm wrong, but that scene of Dan and the the 1800s guy in the tunnels did that end with them getting eaten by the mites or did i imagine that uh no i think the mites literally destroy whatever they come in contact with um i think they just hid from the mites and then got like ripped into a different time stream. Part of time because yeah. i thought it, that moment i thought to myself what if the mites what if this proves the like the flux theory that the it doesn't destroy planets but displaces them and then that scene is like confirmation that you know the mites aren't killing people they're just displacing people um yeah and but you know put a park in that that's not really anything we should talk about the cliffhanger oh god i forgot again (laughs) you literally reminded me like (laughs) 10 minutes ago and i was like oh i forgot about it (laughs) fuck um okay so uh, (laughs) because it seems like the purview of of every flux episode to end with a terrible cliffhanger um we in yaz's time stream she was being stalked by the angels and then they think they escape and then yaz is on her phone in the tardis for some reason and oh it's an angel Well, where'd you come from? Um, it yeah. So there's been angels seeded through Mandip Gill's uh, Yaz's storyline, um, and then she one pops out of a phone. Is that what happens? 
Uh, I think so. I, I can't really tell. One pops out of a video game earlier. It's very odd. Um, oh, yeah, because this is like video like, games. No one says video games. Yeah, no one says video games anymore. Look at me, Yaz. I got to train my fingers so all the boys <laughs> love me. It's like, what? What, <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, the, 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 I don't know. The, they exist in screens. Fucking whatever. They're angels. It doesn't really matter. Um, the point is the angel gets into the TARDIS and... <laughs> And people loved this scene. I couldn't stop laughing at it mm. because it's like the lights start flashing as they do when an angel shows up. And so like you see like different, like they're different in different poses. They're usually getting closer to you. Not this angel. This angel, every time the light flashes, is like punching different controls <laughs> on the TARDIS. And the doctor's like, oh shit, she's piloting it. It just, oh. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And then they have the line, the angel has the TARDIS. And it's like obvious uh, fan service back to Blink. Yeah, uh, it's not my cup of tea, but I did think it was a cool image seeing the angel at the controls of the TARDIS. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just- yeah, it's just I kind of want to make it the the podcast art this week because it's <laughs> such an amusing image, and it um, does invite you. To- like, sorry, did I? No, you go. I, it does invite you to think. I, I saw this theory as well that the Maury are like the the origins of the weeping angels. And there was a moment with the weeping angel in the time stream where the doctor's like, what are you doing in here? That made me think, oh, maybe they're like the architects behind all of this. There's just enough stuff on the, like on the plate table still for me to be like, I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously. Um, that that's a realm, maybe the Uda behind it. We don't know where they come from. Oh shit. There's still an Uda to come. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Yep. All right. Um, That's it, folks. Once upon time. <laughs> We've been talking for far too long. What are you giving this episode? Uh, let's call it... I want to say a B plus. I was I was coming into this ready to give it like a B, but then the more I've talked about it, the more I'm like, hey, I, I, I enjoyed this. Uh, go B plus. I'll, I'll meet you there, but I don't know if it needs a B plus. Okay. B seems reasonable. <laughs> Go with B. Now, um, to, to wrap things up, uh, we have a... <laughs> yeah, I can't say this without a straight face. We have a very exciting announcement. Um, we have received our very first listener email. And I was at work when I got the notification. And I literally was like... <gasps> <laughs> it's very sweet. It's a very sweet email. And thank you, Danny, for reaching out to us um, to share your thoughts on Flux. So Danny has written themselves a, a bit of an, an essay on this one, and I genuinely appreciate the the passion. Um, hey guys, short time listener, first time writer. This episode for me felt fairly inconsistent. There were elements that were extremely exciting, such as Bell's characterization, the way the fugitive Doctor storyline was told, iconic villains fighting for scraps, the Doctor exploring her own time stream, and all the broken, timey wimey COVID nineteen casting of characters as other characters. I have recently rewatched the Matt Smith era, and it often felt like complex timey wimey stuff was underexplained, especially as future river episodes really complicated them thank you danny i agree so i appreciate how much clearer and more understandable chibnall made this episode but the dialogue for me felt very weak at times there was too much explaining and not enough reacting i think chibnall could tell a good audio drama but maybe forgets how much the visuals can fill in the blanks i feel like the angels are relying on previous episodes to demonstrate their scariness rather than this story demonstrating anything terrifying about them it could have been interesting 
wondering if the angel had attacked Yaz's sister. In the episode, I thought Belle was going to be revealed to be the Fugitive Doctor's companion. That would have been a fun combination. Agreed. I said earlier, I think it would have been interesting to see Belle trying to get back to the Doctor. Um, I hope this episode, like most Doctor Who seasons, is the dud episode. But overall fun, exciting, but too much exposition dialogue. Can't wait for the next podcast episode. Regards, Danny. Thank you so much, Danny, for that very thoughtful email. Um, I agree. Mm, and I was going to say thank you for corroborating most of our thoughts because sometimes we feel like we're in a bit of a vacuum here on two hearts and so it was like it was nice to read that and be like no we know what we're talking about yeah exactly right um we also ran a bit of a poll this morning because as i was watching sort of fan reactions to all of it i I was a little confused by some of it um so i asked on twitter um which episode did you prefer out of war of the sontarans and once upon time and as of right now uh 51.2 percent of the vote has gone to once upon time verifiable certified fact that's the better episode (laughs) thanks for playing Well, let's just see how it pans out. But yeah, that is genuinely surprising. Um, a little bit, a little bit. I think we just have really cool fans. We um, do. We have the best fans, <laughs> it must be said. Maddie, Maddie Jones on Twitter has also said, uh, I need to watch Once Upon Time a few more times. It didn't have the immediate pacing payoff that War of the Sontarans had, and it required work to get the plot. I think they were both great. I mean, look, that's it. We're all having fun here. It's all just flux. It is. And you know what? No matter the flaws we've talked about this week, I'm so jazzed to watch Doctor Who next week. And I don't think I've been this excited in a very long time. So hats off, Chibnall. You've made me interested in this show again. Uh, yes, agree. I know, I know we've gone over long here, but I was listening to, uh, I think it's Jack W is his, his username on YouTube. I want to say, um, he, he's made a couple of Doctor Who videos in the past that I really enjoyed, you know, quite c- critical of Chibnall. So of course it's, it's in lockstep with where we're at. Um, but he said that, uh, basically what Flux has been able to do is that while not necessarily alleviating the problems of the past seasons, it has managed to be entertaining at least. Yeah. And I do think that that is ultimately what we're driving out here is that yes objectively there are still problems here but are you not entertained you know and i am and i can't wait for village of the angels it's claire's episode finally remember claire yes she's one letter away from being clara oh remember clara all right um (laughs) you folks have a lovely week uh we will see you uh in a week's time for uh, village of the angels can't wait see you then james yeah, see you then, Callum. Um, I forgot we are supposed to do an outro spiel, but I think we can skip it this week because it's late and we're tired. Yeah. Peace. Bye. Bye.